Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Friday evening. Hope you got some big plans for the weekend. And be sure to stay with us tonight because coming up later in the show, more from our education roundtable. You're going to hear from three local superintendents, really give you kind of the lay of the land of what it looks like to get our kiddos back into school uh, safe and sound, maybe even potentially full time, meaning five days a week. All right, we're going to start here tonight, though, with Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, gave his speech last night to accept the Democrat presidential nomination. We said last night, this is a time, a moment, an event that Vice President Biden had been working towards, training towards really most of his life, at least for the past 47 years, if you will. So it was a huge, huge moment for Vice President Biden. And I got to say, I think he met it in an absolutely impeccable, impeccable way. Right tone, good message. So for Joe Biden, to have that big of a moment and to meet it the way he did, I would consider that a big, big win for Vice President Biden. Now, this coming week is going to be the GOP convention. We're going to have some great coverage for you uh, from D.C. and different people to uh, keep you abreast about what's happening with the GOP convention next week. All right, we start tonight with this. Our D.C. Bureau recently did an outstanding, outstanding interview with the FDA commissioner, Dr. Stephen Hahn. They talked about uh, the COVID-19 vaccine potential, where it's at, when when is it coming. They talked about COVID-19 therapeutics and much, much more. We keep hearing about the historic pace with which we're trying to develop a vaccine in this country for, for, for COVID-19. Can you just sort of tell us, is that history going to be made and where are we in these trials? So it's a really important question, Peter. And um, I, I've said before, uh, before I became FDA commissioner, I was a cancer doctor, and I used to tell my patients, I don't have a crystal ball. And I don't have a crystal ball here, but we have ha made historic progress in this country, a real testament to the incredible biomedical research community that we have in the U.S. Um, a lot has been done to expedite the development of a vaccine. If you think back to January when we first identified the, the sequence of the virus, we knew what was in the virus, and then subsequently the development of vaccines to now we have two vaccines in phase three clinical trials. Now that's not because anyone has cut any corners, it's because it's taken a concerted effort. And we haven't done things in sequence, we've done things in parallel so that some of the, the, the work that gets done doesn't wait for the end of the phase one trial and then the beginning of the phase two, it happens simultaneously, which allows us to be much more efficient. And frankly, Peter, it's, it's a paradigm, it's an approach that we should really consider using in the future. And then, and finally, the other thing that really has helped expedite is that because of the financial backing that's been received for these projects, both from private industry and the government, they're manufacturing vaccines now before FDA makes a decision about the safety and efficacy of a vaccine. So that helps to speed up. And so when we get the data at FDA, we'll be able to look at those data. And if, if we say that it's safe and effective and we're not going to cut corners on that, they'll be able to have the vaccine ready for distribution. So you can see all of those efforts compress the time, time frame without cutting corners and without ignoring the fact that we must ensure that this is a safe and effective vaccine. Right. So, so when is so you say phase three? Is that sort of the the phase just before the your your group gets the data and starts reviewing it? Absolutely. So phase one is safety. Phase two is an initial look at effectiveness, and then phase three is where you randomize volunteers between a placebo, that is an inactive vaccine, and the active vaccine. And what we're looking for is the prevention of COVID nineteen disease in people who receive the vaccine, or 
um, turning COVID-19 into something as simple as the common cold. So those are the, we call them clinical endpoints where we're looking for the effectiveness of the vaccine. Um, it's a pretty standard approach, but those phase three clinical trials, each of them, and there are two right now, have 30,000 volunteers in them. And when those fully accrue and we get the data, um, then we'll be able to look at that and make an assessment. And our plan is to look at the data in real time. We're looking at data now every week from the manufacturers of these vaccines so that we're not wasting time at the end and we can look at the full data set but have an idea of what's coming to us. Now, of course, the president has said he would like to see a vaccine around the beginning of November, and he also noted it might help his reelection chances if a vaccine is approved by then. Is there any political pressure on you to quickly sign off on a vaccine? Yeah, I just want to make it clear, Peter. There, there's, there, the only facts FDA will look at with respect to a vaccine when the data come to us is, is those data and the science and the medicine. That's the only thing that are part of our criteria for looking at a vaccine and determining its safety and efficacy. You know, Peter, there's, there's pressure around the world Everybody wants a vaccine as soon as possible. Everybody wants a safe and effective vaccine as soon as possible. And we all want a vaccine that's 100% effective. Now, we know in medicine, nothing's 100%. So what we're looking for is really to have a safe and effective vaccine when the data tell us that it is, in fact, safe and effective. And, and we'll wait for those data to come to us, but we're really pushing hard to look at that early on. So there's no real pressure from the president to get this done by November? I've had absolutely no pressure uh, from anyone um, to uh, expedite this other than when the, the data are ready for us to look at. And I, uh, my promise, solemn promise to the American people, is that we will use our high standards for efficacy and for safety to assess this. We have terrific scientists at the FDA. They know what they're doing, and they, we will do the right thing. Now, we have recent polls that show that something like one third of Americans won't want to take this vaccine when it is ready. Why do you think we, there's so much weariness of this vaccine? So I think in general, um, we've had over the years some wariness about vaccines in general, measles vaccine being a, a good example of that. Um, so there's that at a sort of a baseline level. But then I think um, the reason these conversations with, with someone like you, Peter, is important is because you highlighted initially how this is being expedited. And of course it is because we're in a pandemic. Um, and that can occasionally lead to concerns. Well, our corner is going to be cut. Are we doing the right studies to determine safety and effectiveness? And so by being transparent, as we have, about what are our criteria for determination of safety and efficacy, and also making sure, which we said we will, that there is a public advisory committee of scientific experts from around the country to actually look at our decision making, that should provide additional confidence to the American people. And just continuing with the message that we will not cut corners in that assessment. We're hearing discussion, you know, until we get a vaccine, we're hearing discussion about this unproven plant extract, oleandrin, as a possible therapeutic. How can you apply lessons learned from the approval and ensuing disapproval of hydroxychloroquine to this oleandrin trial and others like it? This is a really important uh, uh, topic. And so, Peter, I'm going to make an analogy for you. I'm a, I'm a doc, as you know. And um, when you have a patient come in the emergency room, you have a limited amount of information. But what you're trying to do is to prevent someone from getting very sick or dying. So what you do is you make your decision based upon the information you have. An hour later, 10 hours later, two days later, the doc's going to get additional information and going to modify the treatment plan based upon that information. Every patient expects his or her doctor to do that. It's the right thing to do from a medical point of view. And that's what the FDA has tried to do throughout this pandemic. <clears throat> we receive data. 
we have something called an emergency use authorization, which allows us to make some decisions with a limited data set, very similar to what an emergency room doctor would do. But then we continue to look at the data. And as the data accumulate, if it points us in a different direction, we make a different decision. That is exactly what you want an agency like the FDA to do during a public health emergency. Whether we're talking about oleandrin, whether we're talking about hydroxychloroquine, um, that is the approach that we've used based upon the data and the science that come to us. And we will continue to do that, and I think that's in the best interest of the American people for COVID-19. Can you tell us if you're trending toward an emergency use authorization for oleandrin? I can't comment on uh, whether we have an application or not regarding any specific subject. What I can tell you is as we have done throughout the pandemic for any medical product, we will only look at the science and data. There'll be no other considerations with respect to decisions that we're making. Has the president spoken to you about oleandrin? I, I'm not going to comment on my private conversations with anyone regarding this subject, but what I can tell you is that the only considerations we're going to use, Peter, are science and data. No other discussions count when FDA makes a decision. We have 18,000 scientists, physicians, nurses, pharmacists, and every one of them takes this solemn oath to the American people very seriously. It is only about the science and the data. Can you tell us about the importance of, of, these, uh, of approving these rapid tests? I, I understand Saliva Direct, I believe it was called, yes. was approved by you folks. Uh, what impact does that have as we continue on this fight without a vaccine? Yeah, really interesting question. Um, so we authorized Saliva Direct uh, this past weekend. Um, and the reason that's important is because of the ease of collection. You can imagine it's very different to um, put saliva in a cup as opposed to use the nasal swab or the nasopharyngeal swab, which is more uncomfortable. It's easier for people to do for home collection, for example. So what the sponsors of this, uh, this uh, collection system have developed is a process that could potentially be expanded to a lot of different platforms uh, that we currently have. And as you know, we have many different laboratory platforms per for performing the diagnostic test for, for, for COVID-19. So this collection methodology combined with the multiple different platforms that can be adapted to gives us a lot more flexibility moving forward. It's a really important advance uh, and should help us uh, uh, move the ball forward with testing. And finally, I just want to get you on this really quick. If a vaccine is approved, distribution obviously becomes the focus. How do you think distribution should be prioritized? Should we be looking at these vulnerable communities like the elderly and people of color? What would you suggest? Well, just to, first of all, CDC is working with NIH, the uh, um, National Academy of Medicine, to develop a prioritization plan. I don't want to prejudge what they will do, but I can tell you there's a couple of things from an FDA perspective. One is the data that come into us from the vaccine trials may point us to one population versus another in terms of highlighting. That may inform the decisions around prioritization. So we'd always want the science and the data to guide our decisions at FDA and our authorizations but then those authorizations should help guide the prioritization. And then just from a common sense point of view, I think we can all agree that those most vulnerable, those most at risk for the seriousness, uh, serious cases of COVID-19, the ones that are potentially life-threatening, we would, of course, uh, uh, consider prioritizing those who are most at risk, in addition to frontline healthcare workers, food workers, and others around the country. So there's a lot of considerations that go into this. I have complete confidence that the CDC with NIH and the National Academy of Medicine will have a very robust plan and, and particularly uh, protect the most vulnerable among us. And now I, I know you say you don't have a crystal ball, but everyone is so curious. A lot of folks are, you know, hanging every day on this. 
is it looking like early next year for approval or can you truly not give any any estimate well you know i want to set the appropriate expectations peter um and as a regulatory agency we have to be really careful about this one because um at the end of the day um in the confidential assessment that FDA does about any medical product, we have to make the right call based upon those data for the American people. So it would really be inappropriate for me to say when we might receive that or when we would make a decision. What I can tell the American people is that we are not going to cut corners. We're going to make a really good decision based upon the data, but we're also going to do that with a sense of urgency because we all realize how important this is. Great, great interview there. Thank you so much to FDA Commissioner Dr. Stephen Hahn for the insight. Uh, we really, really appreciate his time. And be sure and stay with us. Coming up next, you're going to hear from three local superintendents here about what it means to get your kiddos back to school safe and sound. It is a fascinating conversation. As always, you can share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back.